The Rural Health Voice, Episode 84. All of us. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Why have some people been left out of medical research? Dr. Kareem Watson, Chief Engagement Officer of the All of Us Research Program at the National Institutes of Health, joined me to discuss why a broad spectrum of people are needed to support medical discoveries. Well, welcome, Dr. Watson. Glad to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, and it was great to meet you in Albuquerque at the, the National Rural Health Association Conference. That It was such an important meeting, and I, I felt that it was a privilege, Beth, actually for me to be able to attend that conference and meet a lot of the rural health partners, including you. Excellent. And I was looking at your bio, and you're listed as the Chief Engagement Officer. What does a Chief Engagement Officer do? It's, it's funny you say that. I answer that question a lot, particularly for family members. They say, now, what is it that you do? Um, and when I think about chief engagement officer, one of the, the jokes I often say is I'm actually a, like, I sometimes feel like I'm a chief relationship officer and a chief relationship builder, chief partnership officer, chief community engagement person to make sure that we have the partnerships, the infrastructure, that we have links in and with community members who historically don't have a seat at the table to make sure that we're thinking about those community members, those partners and those stakeholders and to engage with them across what everything you think about what engagement means from relationship building to having them help decide, help play a role in helping us decide priorities for the program, the participant journey throughout the program, even all the way to how, how we return the results and what research community members have access to our data and utilize our data. All of that falls within my role as chief engagement officer. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's with the All of Us Research Program at the National Institutes of Health. What is the All of Us Research Program? Thank you for asking. Well, the All of Us Research Program is an effort to bring together one million or more volunteers that reflect the diversity of people living in the United States who will volunteer their health data for at least 10 years. Um, the program is open to people both healthy and those that may be living with certain conditions and that are from all communities and all walks of life. And Beth, I think you'll find that unlike a single research study that some people hear about that's focused on a specific disease or population, all of us will serve as a national research resource that will inform thousands of studies, hopefully, covering a wide variety of health conditions. And like you said, it's led by the National Institute of Health, but it's actually our cornerstone of the Precision Medicine Initiative by the NIH that was launched in 2016. And the goal of the Precision Medicine Initiative launched in 2016 was to move forward with the promise of precision medicine. And when we say precision medicine, what we mean is a new approach to how you think about improving health, treating disease, and finding cures. And it really acknowledges that each person is unique, our habits, our environments, our biology, and that they all interact and intersect, and these factors can improve our health and our quality of life. And if you think about it, one, one, one thing I often say is that it's really moving away from that concept of thinking that medicine or research is a one-size-fits-all. So the mission of our program is to accelerate health research and medical breakthroughs to really enable individualized prevent, prevention, treatment, and cures. 
And the website says that you focus on engaging people and populations who have been left out of medical research in the past and inviting them to help drive new biomedical discoveries. Why have some people been left out of medical research? That's such a great question about why have some communities been left out of, of research. And if you think about it, the, the answers are, are varied, but really a lot of it thinks has to do with history. A lot of it has to do with where research has taken place. So I'll think about one population, and we're here to talk about rural communities even. When you think about where research has taken place, it's usually conducted in your large academic medical centers. And in many cases, these large academic medical centers are in, you know, are in urban serving areas or in large community centers. But we, when you think about where people get their care, people get their care at smaller community hospitals, fairly qualified health centers, and even in other community spaces. But these are not places where research is often taking place. And so geography and where people live is a population that's, you know, often you know not, not engaged in research but then also populations who are are racial ethnic minorities have often not been included in research and some of that also has to do with history we think about you know former studies like the united states public health service study that happened in tuskegee alabama think about the fact that that study was in the south it was in take took place with you know several partners and that study still has a historical footprint and, and memory on many people. My, my parents were from the South and, you know, they still remember that, 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 that study. And so when we think about the fact that research has not always been inclusive and not always been done in an ethical way, we, those are things that impact how we engage people today. But I, I tell people all the time that, you know, because of things, unfortunately, like the just, you know, the, the study that involved the, the sales of, of Henrietta Lacks and because of things like the United States Public Health Service study that happened in Tuskegee, Alabama, we have research guidelines in place that we didn't have then. And these things really help us to ensure that participating in research programs like the All of Us Research Program are really of the first and foremost ethical and privacy is, is adhered to and that it's, it's, there's guidelines in place that we 100% adhere to. And you touched on this a little bit, but talk more. What difference does it make if you include a broader spectrum of people? So a great, great question. Well, when you think about the fact that we're really looking at what we call precision medicine, again, that's acknowledging that all, where, we, where we live, our, our zip code, our ZNA, one of my mentors, Dr. Wynn, often calls this, the zip code the ZNA. Where you live can sometimes be more important than your biology, you know, your DNA, what, what your genetic, what you're born with. And so understanding and having a broad snapshot of people across the U.S. that truly reflects the diversity of the U.S. is so important. While we know that, while you know, in and of itself, race, you know, is a social construct, we know, and it's self-reported, but there's things like our genetics, our ancestry, that can be important indicators of letting us better understand how our environment and our biology may intersect. So in order to understand that, we must truly have a representative sample, a population enrolled in the study that truly reflects the diversity. So we often call that, Beth, in our, in our terms, UBR, underrepresented in biomedical research. 
And that, but that's thinking beyond just race and ethnicity. Historically, people that are racial ethnic minorities have not participated in research. Historically, populations that are that live in rural communities have not participated in research. Even historically, people that are are older and older age. I don't consider 65 old, but when you think about people that are 65 and older, have not historically participated in research. Even differences in social demographics. People often with less than the college education, less than a GED annual incomes of less than 25,000, and even populations like sexual gender minority or populations living with disability. These are all communities who historically have not had access to awareness of or engagement in the research process. And it's so important to include these populations because understanding our lived experience, our biology, the environment, and, and the social terms of health all will allow us to truly get to what the All of Us Research Program wants to do, and that's for us to be able to build one of the most diverse data sets that researchers can use to ask questions about the intersectionality of disease and health that they've never been able to do. You know, you mentioned intersectionality, and that's something that we certainly looked at at the Virginia Rural Health Association. The concept that, you know, different disparities compound themselves. It's one thing if you're a senior, you're one thing if you're gay, or one thing if you're African-American, but we certainly have people who are seniors who are also gay, who are also African-American, who are also rural. How does intersectionality fit into your work? Oh my gosh, thanks. That's a, intersectionality, I think, is at the cornerstone of, of my work, Beth. Even as a, I'm trained as a cancer disparities researcher. And so my, my work and my training set at that intersection of looking at disease prevention. And I looked at it specifically from screening. And there was so much literature that I, that, and I found in my work that let, let us know that you have to pay attention to that intersectionality. For example, when you think about family history and some of the work I did around colorectal cancer, the understanding that what someone has access to in terms of diet is important when you think about colorectal cancer screening, knowing one's family history, even the ability to get access to a colonoscopy, access to um, you know that screening, and and then and, and understanding what that looks like. When you think about a lot of our populations that may may identify as sexual gender minority, letting them know that what screenings they should get and when, right? You know, and, and how that intersects and even how the healthcare system is prepared to engage with you is so important because if you're a person living with a disability, for example, and you are a woman living with a disability and you go for a mammogram screening and that site is not ADA compliant and is not equipped to just to ensure that you have an equitable screening process, that can prevent your desire to want to come back for a follow-up. And so that can prevent your desire to even be engaged with the whole healthcare system. So it's so important for us to understand how all of these things can intersect to inform our health outcomes. But the human body doesn't change if, say, I move to an urban area. What difference would it make for biomedical research? Well, you're right. The human body, actually, that's a great example. The human body may not change if you move to an urban area, but what that human body is exposed to may change. You know, we now know that actually the impact that stress has on the body can actually have biological consequences to it. And for example, the research that I did was looking at lung cancer screening. And we, we found out that certain experiences with discrimination, experiences with, with racism, experience with, with, uh, with, with social isolation, all these things could actually have a physical, cause a physiological response and could impact 
how your body reacts to, you know, to, to certain exposures and then could determine, could impact certain health outcomes. And it, it's the same with where, where you move to. And, but it, the environment and where you live, Beth, is so intricate and, and, and interesting from health disparities and precision medicine, because for example, I'm in the Chicagoland area and in our community, and we are, there's data that shows that you can take a train ride from one part of the city to the, another part of the city, and your life expectancy can decrease by 20 years or more just by the community area you live in in Chicago. Not, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your quote-unquote biology, but it does have to do with a lot of things that we often call the social terms of health. It has to do with your ability to have a walkable area. It has to do with your ability to live in an environment that has access to healthy foods and vegetables. It has ability to do with the environment that you can live in and feel safe. All these things can have an impact on your health outcomes. And you being from Chicago, the last time I checked, Chicago was a long way, both geographically and culturally, from rural Virginia. Why do we trust you? That's a great point. Well, my parents are from the rural South, and um, I, I always say my roots are in, in the rural South. And when you think about this concept of intersectionality, you think about one of my favorite books is from Isabella Wilkinson, The Warmth of, the Warmth of Other Suns. And when I remember reading that book and thinking to myself, I felt like she was describing my own family. I was talking to one of my cousins, uh, Beth, right before the, the rural health meeting where I met you, and we were re reliving my uncle's experience in rural Arkansas. And I remember it, I was a, a young child, but I remember my uncle, not even 50 yet, dying from complications from prostate cancer. And that scenario sticks out in my head because they lived in rural Arkansas and he didn't have, act now granted it was the, the, the late 80s, but still didn't have access because of where he lived to some of the innovative screening treatments at that time. And because of the lack of access that he had, he unfortunately had an early, you know, early death due to prostate cancer. And I often wonder if my uncle had lived in an area where he had access to, or if there were programs where you didn't have to leave your community just to get quality care. You know, I have to say that I think he would still have been here when my cousin, his daughter, got married. And instead of him walking her down the aisle, my father had to walk her down the aisle. And so I think about my own family's lived experience and, and that of my partners and, and, our, and our colleagues. And, and I'm reminded while, yes, I live in an urban area, but I'm, my, my roots are, are deeply rooted in understanding the rural experience, particularly those in the rural South. And aside from trusting you as a person, what does all of us do to make sure the personal information given to NIH is safe? The safety is one of, is the foremost thing that we have to really focus on. And one of the things people often ask, they say, well, Kareem or Dr. Wasserman, I enroll in the All of Us Research Program. Will you know that I enrolled in Chicago? Will you know that I, I say, no, one of the first things that happens after a participant or after someone enrolls in the program is that their data is what we call de-identified. What that means is that all the identifiers that will identify Kareem or that will identify you as Beth are removed. And while it's not normally good to become a number, in this case, it actually is. You become a number where that number cannot be traced back to you. You're de-identified information, and it's really not a number, so you become, almost become like an algorithm where we know information about you, but there's not a way to link that information back to you 
as, as Beth or back to me as Kareem. And I'm actually a participant in the program too. So this was very important for me because I wanted to make sure that my data was safe. And in addition to that, there's multiple tests that our data team takes a dozen a regular basis to make sure that our data is free from being um, from there's several firewalls that are up there's several ways that our data are protected to ensure that people's data is not compromised mm -hmm. what do you see as some of the major barriers in increasing rural participation I, th I think one of them some of the major barriers that i see in increasing rural participation beth are some of the same barriers we see in just rural access to care and rural health in, in general, uh, um, access to care is one of those. Um, and again, thinking, understanding that a one size fits all approach doesn't work for engagement, right? So what works to engage certain communities in urban or other areas may not work to engage those same communities in rural, rural areas. Um, and so I really applaud our program and our ability to do outreach we have a mobile engagement asset, which is actually a, a van, a mobile home. I don't know if you've seen it, Beth, but it, it goes across the country and it does prioritize those community areas where the All of Us program doesn't have a brick and mortar academic center or a brick and mortar clinic. And so I really applaud our program in what we call that MEA, that mobile engagement asset, that journey bus for, for us to be intentional in going to communities that otherwise would not have access to research. So that's one of the barriers is access. Another one of the things is the digital divide. And we saw a lot of this di digital divide when we saw what happened with the pandemic, you know, really acknowledging, understanding that a lot of our rural communities don't have broadband access all the time. And, and, and when you think about what's happening with our electronic medical records and this, the, 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 dig the digital divide, we really have to think about the tools that we're using to engage um, populations that live in rural communities. And then awareness is another thing. You know, um, when we, we think about the healthcare providers, they're often the first face that a community member has with healthcare is that doctor, that nurse, that pharmacist. And if they don't know that research exists, a research program like all of us exists, it's very likely that, that we won't be able to get that information to the community members. So awareness is another thing that we have to work on. Do you have any projects going on here in Virginia? Um, directly in Virginia, not directly, but we do have projects where we're working with partners like fairly qualified health centers. Well, and we hope that's what we hope to work more closely with you. Where we can think about what are some of those ways that we can work directly with you. We do have a partnership with 50 Forward. 50 Forward is an organization that is focused on populations that are, you know, 50 and older, and that, and also they're they're located in in Nashville, their headquarters. But they do a lot of national outreach for us, and so we're hoping that our partnerships with organizations like 50 Forward can help us to move, really get more engagement in rural communities. But I love the fact, Beth, that the National Rural Health Association, the NRHA, is one of our community partner gateway initiative partners. We have over 100 or more community partners, which we call community partner gateway, CPGI partners, and the National Rural Health Association is one of them. So really proud of that work. Sure. And you mentioned Dr. Wynn. Dr. Wynn was a guest on this podcast in June talking about the BCU Messy Cancer Center. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And when Dr. Wynn was, when he was in Illinois previously, he was one of the investigators and one of the leaders of the Illinois Precision Medicine Consortium. So we are really excited to re-engage Dr. Wynn and the VCU, the Macy Cancer Center and, and VCU in general. What else do we need to know about all of us? 
I think one of the things that we definitely want you to know about all of us too is, is our commitment to community engagement. Because one of the first aspects of community engagement is partnership development and, and capacity building and, and really building that relationship. And one of the things that I'm really proud of that we have as a program is what we call the community engagement ecosystem. We have an ecosystem of community partners that, that represent over eight national community partners. And these eight national community partners really reflect and serve populations that we talked about before that have been historically underrepresented in research. So when we think about populations, Asian Americans, we have the Asian Health Coalition as one of our partners. When you think about faith-based partners, the National Baptist Convention USA is one of our faith-based partners. We understand that the faith-based community is still a very viable way to engage many, many community members. We know that engaging Hispanic and Latino population is important, so we have a partnership with the National Alliance of Hispanic Health. We I talked about population living with disability. We have a, pop, a partnership with the National Association on Health and Disability that can really ensure that when we talk about our mobile engagement, act, uh, mobile engagement asset, our All of Us journey, that that journey is equitable and, and, and accessible to populations living with disabilities. So that's one of the things I really like to highlight is that in addition to just being, you know, we're focused on building that cohort of a million or more participants, but we're also very focused on building relationships with community members so that we can begin to address those issues of trust, address those those questions those that community members often have on why they should engage in resource research. If someone wanted to participate in all of us, where can they get more information? The great question. So one of the ways to get more information is to go to our website, which is allofus.nih.gov. Again, that, that website is allofus.nih.gov to get more information about joining All of Us Research Program. And we'll make sure that there's a link to that website in the show notes. And people in Virginia have an opportunity to learn more and ask questions in person, as you will be the opening speaker for the Rural Health Voice Conference in November. And so excited about that and looking forward to that. Should be great. So the last question, question I asked all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? If I could do if I had a magic wand, Beth, and I could do anything, I would make access not an issue. When I when I think about rural America, and I think of, again, I think about my family. My my aunts and many other family members are still in rural Arkansas and parts of rural Mississippi. And when I think about the the, the distance that they often have to travel just to get healthcare, it's still, and this is, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, 30 or 40 years later after my uncle's death, you know, from, you know, dealing with issues of access, it's still an issue. And if I had a magic wand, I would, I would make healthcare accessible in rural communities in a similar ways that it's accessible in, in urban, in urban American, other urban communities. And I wouldn't make where you live such an issue on what type of care you receive. And, and I think that the work that VCU Macy Cancer Center is doing is an example that that can be done <laughs> when I look at the outreach that Dr. Wynn and his team are doing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and we look forward to seeing you in November. I look forward to seeing you and thank you for this platform and this opportunity. That's Dr. Watson encouraging us to address barriers to access. If you want to hear more from Dr. Watson, come join us at the Rural Health Voice Conference. Visit our website at vrha.org and click the Events tab at the top of the page.
The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.